Chapters thirty one and thirty two of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one At Home. Oh, Harold, what have you been doing? Jerry exclaimed, stopping short, while a suspicion of the truth began to dawn upon her. That is the roof Tom told you I was shingling harold replied and taking her by the arm he hurried her on to the cottage where mrs crawford stood in the door in her broad white apron and the neat muslin cap which maud had fashioned for her with a cry of joy jerry took the old lady in her arms and kissed and cried over her it is so nice to be home and everything is so pleasant she said as her eyes swept the sitting-room and kitchen and back porch where the tea-table was laid with its luscious berries and pitchers of cream go right upstairs with harold i have just come down and can't go up again mrs crawford said excitedly and with a bound jerry was up the stairs and in the lovely room when she saw them coming in the lane mrs crawford had gone up and opened the shutters letting in a flood of light so that nothing should escape jerry's notice and she saw it all at a glance the high walls the carpet the furniture the curtains and the flowers and knew why harold did not come to vassar he was standing in the bay window watching her and the light fell full upon his shabby clothes which jerry noticed for the first time knowing exactly why he must wear them and understanding perfectly all the self-denials and sacrifices he had made for her who had been so angry because he did not come to see her graduate had she been younger she would have thrown herself into his arms and cried there harold half thought and hoped she was going to do so now for she made a rush toward him then stopped suddenly and sinking into the willow chair began to sob aloud while harold stood looking at her wondering what he ought to do don't you like it jerry he said at last like it and in the eyes which she flashed upon him he read her answer like it i never saw a room i liked better but why did you do it was it because of that foolish speech of mine about knocking my brains out the ceiling was so low not at all harold replied i had the idea in my head long before you wrote that to me but could not quite see my way clear until last spring i have seen nina's room and maud's and have heard that ann eliza peterkins was finer than the queen's at windsor and i did not like to think of you in the cooped-up place this was with a slanting roof and low windows i am glad you like it and then knowing that she would never let him rest until he had done so he told her all the ways and means by which he had been able to accomplish it except indeed his own self-denials and sacrifices of pride and even comfort but this she understood and looked at the shabby coat and shoes and the calloused hands which lay upon his knees as he talked and which she wanted so much to take in hers and kiss and pity for the hard work they had done for her but this would have been throwing herself at his head and so she only cried the more as she told him how much she thanked him and that she never could repay him for what he had done for her but it was a pleasure he said i never enjoyed anything in my life as i have working in this room with maud to help me she was here nearly every day and by her enthusiasm kept me up to fever heat she puttied up the nail-holes and painted your dressing-room and would have helped shingle the roof if i had permitted it she gave you the chair you sit in and the table in the window she would do that and i let her but when mr arthur offered his assistance and the other mr tracy i refused for i wanted it all my own for you he was speaking rapidly and excitedly and had jerry looked up she would have seen in his face all she was to him 
but she did not and at mention of maud a cloud fell suddenly upon her but she would not let it remain she would be happy and make harold so too so she told him again of her delight and what a joyous coming home it was she had not yet seen arthur's card and photograph and note but harold called her attention to them and taking up the latter she opened it while her heart gave a throb of something between joy and pain as she saw the words my dear child and then read the note so characteristic of him what a strange fancy of his to go off suddenly to california i wonder mr frank allowed it she said as she put the note in her pocket and then at a call from mrs crawford went down to where the supper was waiting for her the tea-cakes were a little cold but everything else was delicious from the fragrant tea to the ripe berries and thick sweet cream and jerry enjoyed it with the keen relish of youth and perfect health after supper was over jerry made her grandmother sit still while she washed and put away the dishes singing as she worked and whistling too loud clear ringing strains which made a robin in the grass fly up to the porch where with his head turned on one side he listened to this new songster whose notes were strange to him and jerry did seem like some joyous bird just let loose from prison as she flitted from one thing to another now setting her grandmother's cap a little more squarely on her head and bending to kiss the silvery hair as she said to her your working days are over for i have come home to care for you and in the future you have nothing to do but to sit still with your dear old lame feet on a cushion now helping harold water the flowers in the borders and pinning a june pink in his buttonhole now going with him to milk nanny who either remembering jerry or recognizing a friend in her allowed her horn to be decorated with a knot of blue ribbon which jerry took from her throat and which harold afterward took from nanny's horn and hid away with the withered lilies jerry had thrown him that day at harvard when her face and her eyes had been his inspiration they kept early hours at the cottage and the people at the park house were little more than through the grand dinner they were giving when jerry said good-night to her grandmother and harold and went up to her new room under the raised roof it was a lovely summer night and the moonlight fell softly upon the grass and shrubs outside and shone far down the long lane where the tramp-house stood with its thick covering of woodbine leaning from the window jerry looked out upon the night while a thousand thoughts and fancies came crowding into her brain all born of that likeness seen by her in the mirror when arthur was with her at vassar and which harold too had recognized when she sat with him in the tramp-house after arthur had left her in may she had been too busy to indulge in idle dreams but they had come back to her again with an overwhelming force which seemed for a few moments to lift the veil of mystery and show her the past for which she was so eagerly longing the pale face was more distinct in her mind as was the room with the tall white stove and the high-backed settee beside it and on the settee a little girl herself she believed and she could hear a voice from the cushioned chair speaking to her and calling her by the name arthur had given her in his note my child he had written but he had only put it as a term of endearment he had no suspicion of the truth if it were truth and yet why should he not know could anything obliterate the memory of a child if there had been one jerry asked herself i will know some time i will find out she said as she withdrew from the window and commenced her preparations for bed as she stepped into her dressing-room her eyes fell upon the foreign trunk with the contents of which she was familiar they had been kept intact by mrs crawford who hoped that by them jerry might some day be identified going to the old trunk jerry lifted the lid and took out the articles one by one with a very different feeling from what she had ever experienced before when handling them 
the alpaca dress came first and she examined it carefully it was coarse and plain and old-fashioned and she felt intuitively that a servant had worn it the cloak and shawl in which she had been wrapped were inspected next and on these jerry's tears fell like rain as she thought of the woman who had resolutely put away the covering from herself to save a life which was no part of her own oh monny she sobbed laying her face upon the rough coarse garments i am not disloyal to you in trying to believe that you were not my mother and could you come back to me monny whoever you are i'd be to you so loving and true tell me monny who i am give me some sign that what comes to me so often of that far-off land is true there was another face than yours which kissed me and other hands dead now as are the dear old hands which shielded me from the cold that awful night have caressed me lovingly but to this appeal there came no response and jerry would have been frightened if there had the shawl the cloak and the dress were as silent and motionless as she to whom they had belonged and jerry folded them reverently and putting them aside took out her own clothes next the little dresses which showed a mother's love and care the handkerchief marked j the aprons and the picture-book with which she had played and from which it seemed to her she had learned the alphabet standing by a cushioned chair before a tall white stove there was only the fine towel left and jerry looked long and thoughtfully at the letter m embroidered in the corner marguerite begins with m she said and gretchen's name was marguerite if it were gretchen who worked this letter i can touch what her hands have touched and she kissed the m as fervently as if it had been gretchen's lips and gretchen were her mother on the old brass ring the key to the trunk and carpet-bag were still fastened together with the small key for which no use had ever been found jerry had never thought much about this key before but now she held it for a long time while the conviction grew that this was the key to the mystery that could she find the article which this unlocked she would know something definite with regard to herself but where to look she could not guess and with her brain in a whirl which threatened a violent headache she closed the chest at last and crept wearily to bed just as the clock which peterkin had set up in one of his towers struck for half-past ten and grace atherton's carriage was rolling down the avenue from the big dinner at the park house chapter thirty two the next day jerry was astir the next morning almost as soon as the first robin began to sing under her window she had left a blind open and the red beams of the rising sun fell upon her face and roused her from a dream of germany and what she meant to do there once fairly awake germany seemed far away as did the fancies of the previous night the spell mesmeric or clairvoyant or whatever one chooses to call it was broken and she began dressing rapidly and noiselessly so as not to awaken her grandmother who slept in the room beneath hers i shall get the start of her she said as she donned a simple working dress which had done her service during the summer vacations for three successive years i heard her telling harold last night to have the tubs and water ready early for she had put off the monday's washing until i came home as i was sure to bring a pile of soiled clothes and i have but my dear grandmother your poor old twisted hands will not touch them what is a great strapping girl like me for i'd like to know if it is not to wash her own clothes and yours too and jerry nodded resolutely at the fresh young face in the mirror which nodded back with a smile of approbation of the tout ensemble of the figure reflected in the glass 
and truly it was a very pretty and piquant picture she made in her neat calico dress which as it was three years old at least was a little too short for her and showed plainly her red stockings and high-heeled slippers with the strap around her instep her sleeves were short for she had cut them off and arranged them in a puff above her elbows to save rolling them up and her white bib apron was fastened on each shoulder with a knot of blue ribbon harold's favourite colour she had thoroughly brushed her hair and then twisting it into a knot had tucked it under a coquettish muslin cap whose narrow frill just shaded her face you look like a peasant girl and i believe you are a peasant girl and ought to be working in the fields of germany this minute she said to herself with a mocking curtsey as she left the mirror and descended to the kitchen where early as it was she found harold warming some coffee over a fire of chips and cutting a slice of dry bread what in the world she exclaimed stopping short on the threshold i meant to be the first on the scene and lo here you are before me what are you doing getting my breakfast harold replied turning toward her with a slight shade of annoyance on his face you see i have a job i did not tell you last night that a mr allen who lives across the river four miles away looked in one day when i was painting your ceiling and liked it so much that he engaged me to paint one for him i told him i was only an amateur but he said he'd rather have me than all the boss painters in shannondale he offered me three dollars a day and board which means dinner and supper or fifteen for the job and i took the last offer as i can make the most of it by beginning early and working late and we need here he stopped short for how could he tell jerry that the raised roof had taken all his means and that he even owed the grocer for the sugar she had eaten upon her berries and the butcher for the bit of steak bought the previous night for her breakfast and his grandmother's but jerry guessed it without his telling but with her quick instinct and delicate perception knew that no genuine man like harold cares to have even his best friend know of his poverty if he can help it forcing back the tears which sprang to her eyes she said cheerily yes i know you are a kind of second michelangelo though i doubt if that old gentleman at your age could have done my room better than you did i don't wonder mr allen wants you but you are not going to tramp four miles on a hot morning on nothing but bread and coffee and such coffee muddier than the missouri river you shall have a decent breakfast if i can get it for you just sit down and rest and see what a vassar with a diploma can do as she talked she was replenishing the fire with hardwood putting on the kettle pouring out the coffee dregs saved from yesterday's breakfast and hunting for an egg with which to settle the fresh cup she intended to make no no jerry you must not take that it is all we have in the house and grandma must have a fresh one every day at eleven o'clock the doctor says it strengthens her harold said rising quickly while jerry put the one egg back in the box and asked what mrs crawford did settle coffee with i'm sure i don't know cold water i guess harold said resuming his seat while jerry tripped here and there laying the cloth bringing his cup and saucer and plate and at last pouncing on the bit of steak in the refrigerator but here harold again interfered jerry jerry that is for your breakfast and grandma's you must not take that but i shall take half of it i would rather have a glass of nanny's milk any time than meat and you are going to have my share so mr hastings just mind your business and let the cook alone or she'll be givin ye warnin jerry answered laughingly as she divided the steak which she proceeded at once to broil so harold let her have her way and felt an increase of self-respect and that he was something more than a common day-labourer as he ate his steak and buttered toast and drank the coffee which seemed to him the best he had ever tasted 
jerry picked him a few strawberries and laid beside his plate a beautiful half-opened rose with the dew still upon it it was a delicate attention and harold felt it more than all she had done for him thank you jerry he said picking up the rose as he finished his breakfast it was so nice in you to think of it just as if i were a king instead of a jack at all trades but i hardly think it suits my blue checked shirt and painty pants keep it yourself jerry and he held it up against her white bib apron it is just like the pink on your cheeks wear it for me and taking a pin from his collar he fastened it rather awkwardly to the bib while his face came in so close proximity to jerry's that he felt her breath stir his hair and felt too a strong temptation to kiss the cheek so near his own there that completes your costume he said holding her off a little to look at her by the way haven't you got yourself up uncommonly well this morning i never saw you as pretty as you are in this rig if it would not be very improper i'd like to kiss you he was astonished at his own boldness and not at all surprised at jerry's reply as she stepped back from him no thank you it would be highly improper for a man who stands six feet in his boots to kiss a girl who stands five feet six in her slippers there was a flush on her cheeks and a strange look in her eyes for she was thinking of harvard where he had put her from him ashamed that strangers should see her kiss him harold had forgotten that incident which at the time had made no impression upon him and was now thinking only of the beautiful girl whose presence seemed to brighten and ennoble everything with which she came in contact and to whom he at last said good-bye just as peterkin's tower clock struck for half-past five i must go now he said taking up his basket of brushes i have lost a full half-hour with you and your stakes and your coddling me generally i ought to have been there by this time good-bye and offering her his hand he started down the lane at a rapid pace thinking the morning the loveliest he had ever known and wondering why everything seemed so fresh and bright and sweet if he could have sung he would have done so but he could not so he talked to himself and to the birds and rabbits and squirrels which sprang up before him as he struck into the woods as the shortest route to mr allen's farmhouse talked to them of jerry and how delightful it was to have her home again unspoiled by flattery sweet and gracious as ever and how he longed to tell her of his love but dared not until he was sure of her and of what she felt for him he had no faith now in her fancies with regard to herself of the likeness to arthur which he thought he saw the previous day there had been no trace that morning when he pinned the rose upon her bib she could not be gretchen's daughter and was undoubtedly the child of the woman found dead in the tramp-house his jerry whom he had found and claimed as his own and whom he meant to win some day when he had his profession and was established in business but that will be a long long time and some one else may steal her from me he said to himself sadly as he thought of the years which must elapse before he could venture to take a wife oh if i were sure she cared for me as i do for her i would ask her now and have it settled for jerry is not a girl to go back on her promise and the years would seem so short and the work so easy with jerry at the end of it all he continued and then he wondered how he could find out the nature of jerry's feeling for him without asking her directly and so spoiling everything if he should happen to be premature would his grandmother know not at all likely she was too old to know much of love or its symptoms in a girl would nina st clair know possibly for she and jerry were great friends and girls always told each other their secrets so maud said and maud was just then his oracle 
he had seen so much of her the last few months that he felt as if he knew her even better than he did jerry and he was certainly more at his ease in her presence then why not talk with maud and enlist her as a partisan he might certainly venture to make her his confidant she had been so very communicative and familiar with him telling him things which he had wondered at with regard to her father and mother and tom and the family generally yes he would sound maud very cautiously at first and get her opinion and then he should know better what to do maud would espouse his cause he was sure for she worshipped jerry he could trust her and he would he had reached the allen farmhouse by this time and though he was perspiring at every pore for the morning was very hot he scarcely felt the heat or the fatigue of his rapid four-mile walk as he mixed his paints and prepared for his work for there was constantly in his heart a thought of jerry as she had looked in that bewitching dress and of the bright smile she had given him when she said good-bye meanwhile jerry had watched him out of sight whistling merrily gin a body meet a body comin through the rye gin a body kiss a body need a body cry and whistling it so loud and clear that nanny came to the fence and put her head over it with a faint low of approval while clovertop thrust his white nose through the bars and looked at her inquiringly as jerry pulled up handfuls of fresh grass and fed them from her hands noticing that nanny had lost her knot of ribbon and wondering where it was then she returned to the house and was busying herself with preparations for her grandmother's breakfast and her own when the latter appeared in the kitchen surprised to find her there and saying why jerry what made you get up till i called you why didn't you lie and rest lie and rest jerry answered laughingly it is you who are to lie and rest and not a great overgrown girl like me i have given harold his breakfast and seen him off i cooked him half the steak she added as she took out the remaining half and put it on the gridiron i don't care for steak she continued as she saw mrs crawford about to protest i would rather any time have bread and milk and strawberries i shall never tire of them and the big bowl full which she ate with a keen relish proved that she spoke the truth now grandma she said when breakfast was over i am going to do the washing i must do something to work off my superfluous health and strength and muscle look at that arm will you and she threw out her bare arm which for whiteness and roundness and symmetry of proportion might have been coveted by the most fashionable lady in the land go back to your rocking-chair and rest your dear old lame foot on your softest cushion and see how soon i will have everything done it is just seven now and by ten we shall be all slicked up as ann eliza peterkin says it was of no use to try to resist jerry she would have her own way and so mrs crawford after skimming her milk and attending to the cream went to her rocking-chair and her cushion and sat there quietly while jerry in the woodshed pounded and rubbed and boiled and rinsed and wrung and starched and blued and hung upon the line article after article until there remained only a few towels and aprons and stockings and socks and a pair of coloured overalls which harold had worn at his work as these last were rather soiled and had on them patches of paint jerry was attacking them with a will when her grandmother called out with great trepidation jerry jerry do wipe your hands and come quick here's tom tracy hitching his horse to the gate jerry's first impulse was to do as her grandmother bade her and her second to stay where she was if tom chooses to call so early he must take me as he finds me she thought while to her grandmother she said nonsense who cares for tom tracy if he asks for me send him to the woodshed i can't stop my work 
in a moment the elegant tom fresh from his perfumed bath the odour of which still lingered about him and faultlessly attired in a cool summer suit was bending his tall figure in the doorway of the woodshed where jerry who was rubbing away on harold's overalls received him with a nod and a smile as she said good morning tom you are up early and so was i business before pleasure you know so i hope you will excuse me if i keep right on i have stinted myself to get through mopping and all by ten and it is now nine by peterkin's bell pray be seated how is maud and she pointed to a wooden chair near the door where tom sat down wholly nonplussed and not knowing at all what to say first never before had he been received in this fashion and it struck him that there was something incongruous between himself and his dainty attire with a cluster of beautiful roses in his hand and that chair minus a back in the woodshed where the smell of soap-suds would have made him faint and sick if he had not been near the open door tom had not slept well the previous night he had joined the fine dinner-party his mother had given to the hearts and st clair's and atherton's and had sat next to fred raymond's sister marian a very pretty young girl with a good deal that was foreign in her style and in her accent for she had been in europe nine years and had only just come home everything in her manner was perfect and tom acknowledged to himself that she was the most highly polished and cultivated girl he had ever met and still she tired him and he was constantly contrasting her with jerry and thinking how much better he would enjoy himself if she were there beside him with her ready wit and teasing remarks which frequently amounted to ridicule jerry had been very gracious to him on the train and had laughed and joked with him quite as much as she had with dick st clair perhaps she likes me more than i have supposed she did he thought anyway i'd better be on hand now she is at home and can see harold every day he don't care a copper for maud or wouldn't if she didn't run after him so much and that will sicken him pretty soon now that he has jerry by george i believe i'd be poor as he is and paint for a living if i couldn't have jerry without it but i think i can anyway i'm going to try she cannot be insensible to the advantage it would be to her to be my wife and eventually the mistress of tracy park there is not a girl in the world who would not consider twice before she threw such a chance away such was the nature of tom's reflections all through the dinner and the short summer night during which he was planning his mode of attack i'll call in the morning and take her some roses she likes flowers he thought i wonder what she did with those i gave her at vassar they were not with her in the car unless she had put them in that paper box she carried so carefully yes i guess they were there and i shall see them standing round somewhere and this was the secret of tom's early call he had thought at first to walk but had changed his mind and driven down to the cottage in his light buggy with the intention of asking jerry to drive with him along the river road but she did not look much like driving as she stood by the wash-tub in that working dress which he thought the most charming of anything he had ever seen i was coming this way he said at last and thought i'd stop and see how you stood the journey and i've brought you some roses he held them toward her and with a smile she came forward to receive them oh thank you tom she said it was so kind in you roses are my favourites after the white pond lilies and these are very sweet she buried her face in them two or three times and then putting them in some water resumed her position by the wash-tub i'd like you to drive with me tom said but i see you are too busy must you do that work jerry can't somebody can't your grandmother do it for you grandmother that old lady do my washing no indeed 
jerry answered scornfully as she made a dive into the boiler with a clothes-stick and brought out a pair of mrs crawford's long-knit stockings which she dropped into the rinsing water with a splash grandma has worked enough she continued as she plunged both her arms into the water harold and i shall take care of her now he was up this morning at four o'clock and has gone to mr allen's to paint a room for him like mine she said this a little defiantly for she felt hot and resentful that tom tracy should be sitting there at his ease while harold was working for his daily bread and also took a kind of bitter pride in letting tom know that she was not ashamed of harold's work yes tom drawled that new room must have cost hal his bottom dollar we all wondered how he could afford it i hope you like it she was too angry to tell him whether she liked it or not for she knew his speech was prompted by a mean spirit and she kept on rubbing a towel until there was danger of its being rubbed into shreds then suddenly remembering that tom had not told her of maud she repeated her question how is maud she was coming to see me this morning i hope i shall have my work done before she gets here don't hurry yourself for maud tom replied she will not be here to-day i had nearly forgotten that she sent her love and wants you to come there she is sick in bed or was when i left she had a slight hemorrhage last night i think it was from her stomach though and so does mother but father is scared to death as he always is if maud has a pain in her little finger oh tom jerry said recalling with a pang the thin face the blue-veined hands and the tired look of the young girl at the station oh tom why didn't you tell me before so i could hurry and go to her and leaning over her tub jerry began to cry while tom looked curiously at her wondering if she really cared so much for his sister don't cry jerry he said at last very tenderly for him maud is not so bad the doctor has no fear she is only tired with all she has done lately you know perhaps that she was here constantly with harold and i believe she actually painted for him some and for aught i know helped shingle the roof as billy said yes i know i understand jerry replied i saw it in her face yesterday she has tired herself out for me and if she dies i shall hate the room for ever but she will not die that is nonsense tom began when he was interrupted by mrs crawford who called out oh jerry here is billy peterkin with his hands full what shall i do with him dashing away her tears jerry replied send him in here of course in a few moments the dapper little man was in the woodshed with a large bouquet of hothouse flowers in one hand and a basket of delicious black caps in the other for a moment he stood staring first at tom on the wooden chair glaring savagely at him and then at jerry by the wash-tub with the traces of tears on her face then with a kind of forced laugh he said B beg pardon if i intrude looks decently like love in a t -t tub and if it is you have knocked the bottom out tom said to him both jokes were atrocious but they made jerry laugh which was something she was glad on the whole that billy had come and when he offered her the berries and the flowers she accepted them graciously and bade him sit down if he could find a seat here is one on the wash bench she said or will be when i have emptied the tub and she was about to take up the latter when billy sprang to her assistance and emptied it himself while tom sat looking on chafing with anger and disgust after a moment billy stuttered out and eliza s sent me here and wants you to c come and see her rooms g g got a suite you know and by jove they are like a b bazaar they are so full of things and flowers 
half vassar is there got your basket of daisies tom and when i asked her where she got got em she said it was n none of my business did, did she steal em and he turned to jerry whose face was scarlet as she replied no i gave them to her with a lot of others i couldn't bring them all tom could have beaten the air he was so angry he had been vain enough to hope that his gift was carefully put away in some box or parcel and lo it was in the possession of the red-haired peterkin girl whose penchant for himself he suspected and whom he despised accordingly much obliged to you for giving away my flowers he was going to say when mrs crawford called again and this time in real distress jerry jerry you must come now for here is dick st clair for an instant jerry hesitated and then ashamed of the feeling which had at first prompted her not to let dick into the woodshed she replied if tom and billy can be admitted to my boudoir dick can send him in by george this is jolly dick said as he seated himself upon the inverted wash-tub which billy had emptied have you all been washing no jerry answered proudly i am the washerwoman and all those clothes you see on the line are my handiwork by george dick said again you are a trump jerry why didn't you wear that dress when you were graduated it's the prettiest costume i ever saw Th that's what i think only i didn't didn't di dare tell tell her so billy cried springing to his feet and hopping about like a little sparrow how is nina jerry asked ignoring the compliment break as a bee dick replied and sends an invitation for you and al to come over to a garden tea to-night to meet marian raymond fred's sister awful pretty girl with an accent like a foreigner was over there several years you know i was going to the park-house to invite you and maud he continued turning to tom but as you are here it will save me the walk half-past five sharp then as his eye fell upon billy in whose face there was a look of expectancy his countenance clouded for nina had given him no instructions to invite the peterkins and he felt that there was nothing in common between ann eliza peterkin and the refined and aristocratic marian raymond who had seen the best society in europe and in whose veins some of kentucky's bluest blood was flowing but dick was very kind-hearted and never knowingly wounded the feelings of any one if he could help it and after an awkward moment during which he was wondering what nina would do to him if he did it he turned to billy and said as naturally as if it were what he had been expressly bidden to say why i shan't have to walk over to le bateau either i'm in luck this hot morning if you will take the invitation to your sister for half-past five thanks billy began but but am i left out of course not i'm an awful blunderer dick said adding mentally and liar too though i didn't say anybody would be happy to see them poor billy he is well enough and so is ann eliza if she wouldn't pile that red hair so high on the top of her head and wear so much jewellery well i am in for it and nina can't any more than kill me by this time jerry was putting away the washing paraphernalia and sweeping the woodshed thus indicating that she had no more time to lose with her three callers two of whom dick and billy took the hint and left but not until she had explained to the former that she feared it would be impossible for harold to be present at the garden party as she knew he would not be home until late and would then be quite too tired for company i am sorry that he cannot join us i counted upon him dick said but you will come of course and i offer my services on the spot to see you home do you accept them jerry seemed to see without looking the disappointment in billy's face and the wrath in tom's 
but as she greatly preferred dick's society to theirs in a walk from grassy spring to the cottage she accepted his offer and then said laughingly now good morning to you and good riddance too for i am in an awful hurry i am going over to see maud as soon as i can get myself ready she had not thought that tom would wait for her and would greatly have preferred to walk but tom was persistent and moving his chair from the woodshed outside into the shade where it was cooler he sat fanning himself with his hat and watching the long line of clothes flopping in the wind with a feeling of mortified pride as if his own wife had washed them he knew that his mother had once been familiar with tubs and washboards and soapsuds but that was before his day twenty-seven years had wiped all that out and he really felt that to be a tracy and live at tracy park was an honour scarcely less than to be president of the united states and jerry he was sure would see it as such when once the chance was offered her she could not be so blind to her own interest as to refuse one who was so much sought after by the bells of saratoga and newport where he had spent a part of two or three seasons he had been best man at the great wedding in springfield and groomsman at another big affair in boston and had scores of invitations everywhere taken altogether he was a most desirable parti and he was rather surprised at his infatuation for the girl whom he had found in the suds and who was not ashamed that he had thus seen her this was while he was watching the clothes on the line and scowling at three pairs of coarse vulgar stockings which he knew belonged to mrs crawford and at the pair of blue overalls which were harold's yes i do wonder at my interest in that nameless girl whose mother was a common peasant woman he thought but when the nameless girl appeared fresh and bright and dainty as if she had never seen a wash-tub with her hat on her arm and two of his roses pinned on the bosom of her dress he forgot the peasant woman and the lack of a name and thought only of the lovely girl who signified that she was ready it was very cool in the pine woods where the heat of the summer morning had not yet penetrated and tom who was enjoying himself immensely suggested that they leave the park and take a short drive on the river road but jerry said no very decidedly it would be hot there and she was anxious to be with maud as soon as possible so they drove on until they reached the grounds which surrounded the house and where they were met by mr tracy End of chapters thirty one and thirty two